The WJPZ Alumni Association proudly congratulates 2024 Hall of Fame inductee Kelly Sutton. You'll hear about her in this episode of the podcast, originally recorded back in the fall prior to her nomination. For half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. I am so excited to have today's guest on. She is the first female general manager in WJPZ history. She is currently at uh, WEEI in Boston. So in um, Boston terms, she has been there for six Super Bowls, four World Series, one Stanley Cup, and one NBA championship. Kelly Sutton, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to finally be speaking with you. And thank you for doing all of these. It's really been fun to listen to them. Thank you so much. It's been even more fun doing them and how much I've gotten out of them. I'll start at the beginning with you, like we do always. You've been in Boston forever, but you're not from Boston, right, originally? Correct. I'm from Buffalo originally. Tell me how you found out about Syracuse being down the road there on I-90 and what brought you there and then how you found the radio station. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to have a career where I could make some money. (laughs) And so I heard that accountants made money and people in advertising made money. And so... I actually wanted to go away to school, but still be close enough because at the time, you know, you have a boyfriend in high school and you think you're never going to break up and all that (laughs) stuff. So, yes, we did break up, but I ended up uh, applying to schools, you know, primarily in New York State and found Syracuse. And as we all know, had we toured Syracuse in the winter, we probably would not have gone. But I heard there was Newhouse, but I could have a dual major in business and in the Newhouse school. So that's how I decided to go there. And I was fortunate that this family that I babysat for, he was a great mentor to me. He's like a second dad. I'm still very close to them. And the company he worked for on radio stations in Buffalo and carried Buffalo Sabres, Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bisons. And he said, hey, when you come home this summer, I'll help you get an internship at the radio stations. And he was so good to me. I was like, well, I don't want to embarrass him and not know anything. So I found uh, Z89. I think it was in the Shine Student Center. They had a table set up. And I went to the first meeting. And there was Scott Meach doing the recruitment meeting. And I joined the spring semester of my freshman year. And so that's how it all started. So you get to the radio station and the wanting to look good for my future internship might be a first for why I found Z89 (laughs) in this podcast. So we've broken new ground here, Kelly. Yes. When you got to the station, tell me what you got involved with and some of the things you did there, because you weren't one of those, I want to get on the mic. You had other aspirations, as you mentioned a minute ago. Yes. So I don't know if it's still true today, but everyone had to do on-air shifts. Okay. And Scott Meach did all of the training so you could get your radio license, so you could do on-air. So I did the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And I was terrible. And I left my mic open. I (laughs) said, oh, shit, over the air. I, (laughs) I was like, and then some random weirdo calls up in the middle of the night. And it's he's like, oh, I heard it. Don't worry about it. 
And so I knew at that point that on air was not for me. And then I went over to the business side and started doing promotions. And that's how I ended up going through promotions and then the sales side and worked with like Ken and Henry and Hal and the Daves, Dave Morgan, Dave Gorab, Dave Roberts, and a whole bunch of wonderful people, Kelly Foster. Yes, many that we get to see today. So you're there uh, spring of 89, if my math is right, when you get to the radio station. You go from the on-air to promotions. There's a lot going on at that period of time, right? I don't want to say trial by fire, but there was a lot happening at the station at that time in its history. Yes, absolutely. There was a lot of really, really interesting things happening from a business perspective. You know, Henry, when he was the GM, was making a lot of really, you know, at that time, innovative changes on the business side of things by introducing like a commission plan. Mm -hmm. We did our first car giveaway at the New York State Fair, uh, which was unheard of of a college station. And, uh, of course, the ongoing competition with 93Q. Yep. So, yeah, those are some of the things when it's been a long time. So if there's other things that were going on that you're thinking of, definitely share them with me. That's kind of the gist of it. I always think of the car at the state fair. And then you mentioned the sponsorship. And things are humming along at that time. What made you decide you wanted to start climbing the ranks at the station? Um, You know, I... I don't know that I decided so much as I was encouraged to. You're not alone in that, by the way, throughout the history of the radio station. (sighs) You know, I just really got so much out of it. I learned so much. And I remember Rocco, when he was at Hot 97, saying, this is not that different from the real life, you know, radio stations that he was working at at Hot 97. So it was encouraged to apply. And I would say that, you know, Henry really pushed me along in that direction, too, as well as, you know, some other folks as well. And it was really an interesting experience. But it didn't even occur to me about being like the first like female general manager. And it wasn't so much awareness around the difference, gender differences, you know, because at that point in our station's history, it just and culturally at that time, it just wasn't part of the Zedanite culture at all. And certainly everyone got paid the same because you either were volunteer or you could sell and right. make commission. But yeah, so no, I, I'm grateful for the encouragement and the push and the shove to <laughs> apply for the role. Any roles you had prior to being GM? Uh, any management roles on the executive staff before that? Or would you kind of just kind of work your way up to GM from sales? I was the promotions director um, mm-hmm. too. And that was, you know, certainly a great experience as well because- you know, when your feet on the ground and you're setting up the remotes and you're doing everything from, you know, soup to nuts, you're meeting with sponsors and executing promotions and then making sure the sponsorships are written correctly. You do get to learn so much when you're there. And it is truly a fantastic learning experience, unlike anything else since I left school. It is interesting. I was a little surprised, to be honest, when you said that gender wasn't so much a factor when you took that role, because I think in the history of the station and throughout this podcast, we've tried to be as inclusive as possible and bring in as many folks as we can. And there's a long line of amazing, incredible women that led the radio station as we look into the 2000s, 2010s and 2020s and in more recent years. And and you were the first. 
And I think, you know, we have a lot of folks in the Hall of Fame that are white male dominated. I'll just say it. But I feel like a part of that is the station in the first 25 years of its history was white male dominated in terms of a staff. Would you agree? Disagree with that? No, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the exact statistics. And I think I just didn't really notice it because you had other like female friends that were part of the radio station, too. And I would certainly say looking back on it now, you notice it more because the awareness is is there. Mm -hmm. But I think there have been, you know, certainly many, you know, female GMs since, which is always great to see. And the importance of diversity is just so critical. And now that we know better, we can do better. And I think that's, you know, just fantastic. And it just starts, you know, with one person embracing you and say, hey, why don't you try it out? I'm really glad to hear you say that. Totally agree with you as we embrace as much diversity and inclusion as we can going forward. I want to come to your career in a second because you've had an amazing career since Syracuse. But are there specific things you remember learning in your time at the station that have served you well in the career you've had since? You know, people are always willing to help you. And the support that we had being students, like even that car dealership, Carbone, Pontiac, Nissan, like when we walked into sponsors and like even the business community, even people at New City Communications, who which was Y94, mm-hmm. the amount of support that people are willing to give students and to mentor them and to guide them, people really do want to make a difference. And since... You know, people did that for me. I've tried to pay it forward since. So, for example, that family that supported me in finding my internship, I started an internship on the sales side at our company because it didn't exist. It only existed in promotions. It didn't exist on the sales side. Right. And so and I'm like, there are so many opportunities for selling and students in college. You know, there weren't a whole lot of classes. I remember taking one sales class at Syracuse and the guys like save your receipts for your taxes so you can write everything off. <laughs> you know, that's what stood out to me. So um, I think people asking for help. I think uh, the importance of those internships is just really critical. So paying that forward within our own organizations, whether you're still in media or you're not and bringing people along. And then sometimes I need a little shove or a push to keep growing. And, uh, you know, when I changed from uh, CBS, when I moved from Buffalo to Boston, that was a huge deal for me, you know, but sometimes you got to go to grow. And uh, so I think that's one of the things that I've learned, too. But really, the support that I had when I was there continues from people from Z89 to this day. Who are you still in touch with from Z89 now? Oh, it's a great list. It's a great list. Um, so definitely Ken and Henry. Um, Hal, I just saw him over the summer at the Falmouth Road Race. We ran into each other. Certainly, um, I ran into like Dave Morgan, Heather Thompson, Scott I ran into. But uh, Ken, Scott, and I actually have been working on a campaign together for one of my big clients for the company that he works for. And Julie Brunow, I met on my very first day working at WBCN. And being from Buffalo, we are hardcore group, both working folks. And me, Ken, and Henry all work together in Buffalo, too. 
which was, you know, such a, a great experience. Bill Sauer was our GM, who is a Syracuse alum, not a Z89 alum, but a Syracuse alum who gave me my very first real job, if you will. But Julie is an amazing lifelong friend. Uh, I showed up to work my very first day at BCN. No one was there. So I was early. It was probably like, I don't know, it was only eight o'clock. Like in Buffalo, people showed up at 730 in the morning to start the day. (laughs) And she's like, so the manager's calling somebody because she was coming from a different town and she's stuck in traffic because, of course, this is Boston, not Buffalo. There's a lot more traffic. So Julie gets there. She lets me in. She's the very first person that I meet on my very first day. And we start talking. Where are you from? Where's you school? Blah, blah, blah. Syracuse, Syracuse. I worked at a college station. Me too. What was it? C89. You know, so from there, it was just like instant. And I have to give Julie a shout out because she told me that she bugged you to come on this podcast. She said that she that she was going to be a thorn in your side until you said yes. What Julie tells me to do, I do. And so she's like, you have to, You ha- she is the best salesperson there is, by the way. And I keep telling her that. She's like, no, 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 you have to do it. And she's like, and then she's like, I'm going to keep calling you until you do. And um, so I'm like, I promise, I promise. Okay, so you mentioned coming to BCN from Buffalo, but you had your career started in Buffalo after you graduated, imagine, right? Yeah, so I went from uh, Buffalo I failed miserably. I did really well selling Z89. I did not do well selling in Buffalo. Huh. And it was definitely a crisis of confidence. And, you know, you just go to a different level. People have been selling for a long time. I'm like, wow, these people know so much more than I do. And it was really hard. Sales is hard, first of all. But it was I just was like, I'm not good at this. I cried. I was like, I'm going to wow. have to quit. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then luckily I didn't get fired, but I should have been probably. And then I went to Rochester for a year. And for some reason, I don't know why, but Bill Sauer called me and said, hey, would you come back and do this business development role and be a manager? And I'm like, all right, sure. And so I did. And then um, I spent several more years in Buffalo and then had an opportunity to go to Boston And I didn't take it the first time, but I took it the second time. And I was ready to make a change and make a move. And like I said, sometimes you got to go to grow. And Ken Scott was somebody that I called and said, I'm negotiating my compensation. And I think this is where that gender difference will come in. And I was like, wow, it's Boston is so much more expensive than Buffalo. Sure. I'm panicking. Like, I can't believe, like, I would have had to make five times what I was making in Buffalo to be able to afford the same type of housing. And Ken's like, without hesitation, says, well, Kelly, ask for X amount. And if they don't give it to you, it's not worth moving for. Hmm. And it was a significant increase in compensation. And I have to say, I don't even know if he remembers that conversation. I'm going to have to ask him when I talk to him. But I have to say that was a pivotal piece in someone else from Z89 saying, go for it ask for it, the worst they can do is say no. And that is something that I do hear over and over again over the years is that women typically leave a lot of money on the table when they are negotiating their compensation, especially at, well, who knows, at at whatever level it may be. But that was significant and they gave it to me and I took the job. Wow. That's an incredible learning experience. You you know, for anybody in their 20s, not 
having the confidence to ask for more money. But then to your point, especially with women being historically underpaid, really glad you shared that. So you get to Boston, you get to BCN. Take me through your role uh, at Boston. And I, I say that out of genuine curiosity and not just because I'm a Bostonian myself. So BCN, legendary station, obviously, um, we carried the New England Patriots play-by-play. Um, I was a business development manager there, um, worked with Julie. She was a national sales manager, Tony Berardini, Oedipus, who's a famous program director, yep. was our PD. And I was there for about a year and a half, did really well. We sold sponsorships to, if you remember, the River Rave. Mm-hmm. Big concert in Boston for those who aren't familiar. Yep. Huge concert in Boston. And um, I will say, because of my experience in Buffalo, we had the Edge uh, Concert Festival where, you know, Bill Sauer is like, it's your baby. You do it. And I don't know why he let me, do, but I did it. <laughs> Without thinking, I just, I didn't overthink it. I just did it. And from there, I had an opportunity to switch over to Entercom. And there's a fantastic uh, GM there at the time. Her name was Julie Kahn. She'd been brought in to turn the stations around, as often happens in media. For, let me interrupt you for one second. I apologize. But so this is when CBS became Entercom? No, CBS was still around um, in Entercom. So this is back in, this would be in 02. Okay. And Julie had, she's like, I've heard of you. You have a good reputation. I'm building a team of A players. I want you on my team. And I was like, I want to work for you. Yeah. Like, I want to be with the A team. And she was a game changer for me. We are still friends now. And uh, I still see her. She's out of the business now, but um, she is, was a fantastic mentor. And she's another one that was a woman in the business that really rose up through the ranks. And she taught me a lot about business and negotiating and deals and crisis management, because when you work in sports talk, you deal with a lot of talent that can cross the line and then advertisers get pissed off. And Absolutely. <laughs> I have I lived through that many times. So those are interesting conversations to be had. Okay, so I'm glad you clarified that because now, of course, Intercom and CBS merged later. Or 2017. 17. So you went 15 years prior, you went from CBS over to Intercom. So you went from BCN to EEI, was it then that you went to? Yeah, so then we were um, selling all of the stations. So we had EEI, we had WAF, we had WRKO, and we had Star 93.7. Mm-hmm. And, and some of those don't exist anymore. And we had the Red Sox play-by-play. Yeah. So doing sponsorship sales um, with the team there. And then we went through a merger. So my biggest sales deal was one of our clients that's still on today. And um, still is uh, uh, the official supermarket of the Red Sox radio network, which is Shaw's and Star. Star I'm I'm sorry. Hang on. Let me let me go back to my roots here. Shaw's and Star Market. (laughs) Exactly. Next, we'll listen for your joke. Is Leone impression? (laughs) Everybody has one. Okay. Yes. Can you believe it? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. So so fortunate to go to, as you mentioned, the World Series in '04, which is historic. And Super Bowls, and it's been a fantastic run, a fantastic run for sure. And then we merged with CBS Radio in 2017. And then a couple years ago, the Intercom changed the name to Odyssey. Right. And that's where we stand today. So you've been there. You've seen it all. And I promise to those non-Bostonians listening, this is not going to be a whole podcast about Boston sports. But just this question popped into my head. 
As you mentioned, you've seen it all. You've seen all these championships. You've seen some not so great years. This year. Yeah. When you're, when <laughs> we're recording this immediately after two of the worst losses in Patriots history. But that leads me to my question, Kelly. When the teams aren't doing well, how much does that affect your role in sales? Is it much harder or is it more about leaning on relationships at that point? You definitely have to lean on your relationships. And Boston definitely has, as you know, a significant fan base. And people are so passionate about the teams. And as we say, we don't sell wins and losses. And you are selling a lot more than just, you know, a division or a World Series. You are selling the fan experience and what people can engage with with the team. And that is what's a big part of how I, you know, will bring sponsors through and actually help keep them Mm -hmm. is by engaging them with our talent. And so we also have, we own music stations. We do a significant amount of digital business now too. Mm -hmm. So digital, you really have to play in that space, right? Because of streaming and podcasting and the growth trajectory that that has really taken off too. But really our talent who's creating that unique content is what people are just drawn to. And so it is all relationships, especially during COVID. Yeah. We lost tens of millions just in Boston. No play-by-play, companies closing down, shutting down. Obviously, the Biogen Conference, it was the big starting point here, the basis of the Boston, you know, uh, epidemic. Yeah. Pandemic, I should say, sorry. But to survive that, it's all relationships. Because the ratings come and go, the audience, you're selling an audience, and the audience still tunes in. They tune in differently now because they might stream the games. They might tune into podcasts and you have to bring your clients along through that journey. And one of the things that's really cool is at Fenway Park is that we bring clients up to the broadcast booth and they get to meet Joe Castiglione, Will Fleming, SU alum Sean McDonough is on our play-by-play, who's fantastic, as you know. And I couldn't even believe I walk in one day, bring some clients up. There's this young man who's the does a pre and post game show. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? Syracuse. Me too. What year? I worked at the college radio station. Me too. I'm Cooper. I was a sports director at Z89. And I was like, what? We are everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. And for those who don't know, Joe Castiglione has been the radio voice of the Red Sox since I want to say 1986. He's He's a legend. Absolutely. And since you've also worked the music side of it, and again, I admit I'm jaded my perspective only having worked in the music side of the business. I feel like what really hurt the music side of it was when they told us shut up and play the music and it was all about the music, not the personalities compared to the spoken word side of it, news, talk and sports where the personalities are really the driving force of the radio station, whether it's a morning show, whether it's an afternoon talk show. So I feel like there's this, I don't know if celebrity status is the right word, but Yes, you can bring a client into the press box at Fenway Park, and that's obviously a great, goes a great deal toward building that relationship. But also, if you're engaging with the hosts that have made names for themselves over however many years they've been on the air in Boston, that certainly, I'd imagine, plays into it, too, that you're not selling wins and losses, like you said, Kelly, but in some ways, you're almost selling the personalities of the host, too. Do I have that right? Without question, and that does keep us afloat, especially prime time. So Red Sox season, play-by-play, six, seven months out of the year, hopefully goes mm-hmm. into October. 
but more often you don't make it into October playoffs. And our personalities are a part of every campaign that I do because it is an incredibly effective way for clients to win with radio. And it's impactful. It works. People talk about it. You have to extend it to social media. They have to have a social media presence. And I give our talent, any talent, whether you're on a music station or broadcast, because we live in a society that is so ready to cancel you. Mm. And God forbid you make a mistake and, you know, say something that you shouldn't or was um, misconstrued or, you know, I've had many situations where, oh, I heard they said this. And I was like, well, let me go and pull the audio. Yes. And then I, of course, I pull the audio and it's like, well, did you hear the clip yourself? No, I just heard about it. I'm like, well, let me send it to you. Telephone game. And let's listen to it together. Right. And even our music stations now, too, the importance of the personalities is so significant in order to win the ratings game in PPM. And they are difference makers because it's not just about the ratings. It is the touch points that they will make with our sponsors that support everything that we do over the year and online and on podcasting and events and concerts. So even on the sales and the entrance side, just like on the on-air side, you're doing more with less bodies, it sounds like. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm sure everybody is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just for my clarification, you're in charge of all the Odyssey stations in Boston right now as GSM or what did your specific stations? Well, I'm not in charge of them because during COVID, they like happened in many places. They cut management head. And so I went from management to selling because I handled some of our biggest sponsors anyways. Okay. I sell everything in the Boston market, New England from an over the air digital, but also to I can sell national campaigns as well. So I've got some multi-market campaigns that are running in multiple states in Odyssey markets. And what stations does Odyssey have in Boston today in 2023? So we have uh, WEI still, um, Mix 104. Then we have Magic 106.7. And then we have Big 103. Which as somebody who grew up there in the market, but has been away for a few years now when there was a lot of ownership changes in the market, it was hard to keep track of who owned what. So that had to be quite the adaptation for you as well to be losing stations you'd had for a while and then bringing in others. Yes. And at the time when we were going through the merger, I was the GSM for WEEI. So literally because there's two big sports stations in the market with us and with Sports Hub, and we were hoping to keep both sports stations. Sure. But that didn't happen. But the Department of Justice took my laptop. They download everything from your computer. They search everything. And I'm like, okay, this is different. And it really, the Boston market was the most complex market in that merger of figuring out the shuffle with audience share, revenue shares, who was getting what stations between us, Beasley, and iHeart. The impression that I got was, because Boston is such a sports crazy market that between EEI and the sports hub, that represented such a huge share of audience and revenue that they couldn't let one company own both of them. Do I Did I interpret that right? Right. Yep. It was a really fascinating, fascinating time. And, you know, I think one of the things that we learned is that, you know, when you're combining cultures, it's really hard. Yeah. And CBS had their culture. We had our culture. Um, It was exciting to grow and have a bigger footprint. But, you know, it was really hard. A lot of people got shuffled around. Some people, as you experienced 
um, yourself who is like, okay, now there's duplicate jobs here. We don't need both of you or there's cost cutting stuff too. So it really, um, there's nothing easy about that. What would you tell somebody who wants to get into radio from, say, for example, the Z89 class of 24 about where radio is now and where it's going and your outlook on the industry right now? Um, I think that you have to really think about being in media nowadays, not just radio, because it is truly an audio play not just an over-the-air play. Mm -hmm. So just like you have found a lot of success in podcasting, you know, the audio component, whether it's over-the-air or streaming or podcasting, it's just a much bigger platform. I think it's harder to engage a younger group of folks because that's not what they grew up with, right? So They grew up with social media, which, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter was not around when, you know. We were in school, yeah. When I graduated in 92. Uh, But I will say, I think it's it's still, it's a fun business. I have lifelong friends. This career has been very good to me. Even through like the ups and downs, you know, I continue to learn new stuff every day. And that's what keeps me in it. And it's also very creative and there's a lot of grit involved when you're in radio. It is not for the faint at heart. You know, it's not a job where you can coast. (laughs) I'd imagine a lot of that dates back to what you learned at JPZ. That's a great point. It is. It is. Learned a lot of that stuff at JPZ. And uh, if you're willing to do the work, it's a basis to really launch is uh, I've met a lot of old radio people And they always say the same thing. Like, if you can do radio, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I commend the people that can do the on-air in that personality piece, because that was not what I was good at at all. But I'm glad I found the other side of radio, which is, you know, the business side of it and um, the creative part of it, you know, outlets with marketing But having the basis of really understanding the programming side that I learned at JPZ, a lot of those principles still apply now. So I'm grateful for having had the experience there because it's been very good to me and really teaches you to be resilient in this life that we all share. And we're all connected in some way and we don't lose sight of that. And it's just been fantastic to reconnect with everybody because I went away from it for a while. Mm -hmm. Life got very busy. Yes. (laughs) And I think that's true for a lot of us. Speaking of, I want to ask you about your son. You post about your son a lot on on social media. Tell the audience who doesn't know you very well, tell us about your son. Um, So I actually have two boys, Devin and Brady. Mm -hmm. Devin is my oldest, oldest son. He is 27 but he's uh, severe special needs. I get choked. (laughs) That's okay. Um, yeah, so uh, he's uh, without question um, the most courageous person I know. And um, um, if you want to talk about resilience, he is the definition of it. Sure. Um, and uh, so he, um, one of the, the stories that I'll share about Julie Bruno is um, I was still living in Buffalo when Devin was born, and um, he was a surprise baby from a relationship that was not good. Okay. And uh, he had a traumatic brain injury when he was 
an infant at just two months old. Mm. And um, the support, you know, that I got from the guys that I worked with at that station, um, and remembering now is the only female salesperson at that station when I first started. Wow. I know, right? And uh, so it's uh, interesting to look back on. But when I met Julie, I shared Devin's story with her. And, you know, Devin has pretty much spent the first three years of his life in hospitals. And he's blind. He's in a wheelchair. He's nonverbal. He needs a one-to-one for everything that he does. But I have to say he is, uh, he laughs a lot. He smiles a lot. Um, some of the posts you will see is we do adaptive baseball with the Miracle League. We go skiing in the winter. We do adaptive skiing. He's done adaptive horseback riding. I've taken him parasailing. I've <laughs> taken him on jet skis. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, I'll try anything with him. And he is somebody that has been incredibly uh, resilient. And Julie's the one, it's very hard, it's overwhelming. Julie's the one that said to me the first day I met her, and for some reason, I told her all about Devin. And she said, you have got to go see Prita. And I was like, who's Prita? She's like, she is the most amazing therapist you'll ever meet. Wow. And I will say, um, you know, you want to talk about a gift that somebody gives you. And as I told you before, I always do what Julie tells me to do. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I started going to Prita. And, you know, certainly the amount of awareness around mental health um, these days is so much more prevalent than it was 20 years ago. Absolutely. Which is so important to be able to really start to become aware of the thoughts you've got, you know, running through your head. But I will say I use my work to avoid dealing with the pain and overwhelm of all the trauma that I went through with him and saw him go through. Mm -hmm. I mean, he almost died a few times. And so uh, that's why I say he's courageous and resilient. So Prita is an amazing therapist. Uh, she does a lot of trauma work. And that has been a life-changing um, piece of advice, you know, that Julie gave me. And um, I am forever grateful to her for that. So you're a single mom, special needs son, new town, and all of a sudden, friendly face, hey, I worked at Z89 too. Yeah. And it really is, and I'm not trying to lessen the story here, but the fact that this one more piece of, a Z89 connection of somebody that you didn't even go to school together with. Yes. And what you told me about that one piece of advice and how life-changing that was for you, that's uh, that that's really something else. And, and full disclosure, I asked Kelly before we sat down, I asked her if she was comfortable <laughs> talking about this. And to her great credit, she said yes. So I, I didn't, I, just so the audience knows, I didn't yes, spring this yeah. on her out of the blue or yeah, anything. Yeah, that you didn't like bring me to tears uh, and emotional. And, it, you know, I, I think, John, that's part of the reason why when we talked, I can't believe it was a year ago, Hell Rude was like, please, you know, you got to talk to John, do the podcast. And I was like, you know, it brought up a lot of stuff. Sure. Because I was so young when, um, I mean, 25 to me is young now. (laughs) You know, you hear you, you know, run a college radio station and then your life falls apart and you go, fuck, like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And um, so the journey, and I would say whether it's, 
the universe coming in and giving you these signs. And sometimes you take it and sometimes you don't. But I have to say, every time I listen to my instincts or, you know, that great advice that I've gotten and whether it was from, you know, Julie or Ken or Henry or Hal, it's like all these different people saying, hey, you got to do this. It's like, try it. So I thank them for sometimes giving me the shove and for you bringing it up because I wasn't sure how to um, how to think about that. And, you know, it was part of the reason why I didn't go back to banquet for so long. Um, I was really overwhelmed. Uh, I was trying to work and take care of him sure. and find him resources and everything like that, too. He's healthy. He's stable. We have a good care team for him. They see him all the time. He is my greatest teacher, for sure. How old is Brady? Brady is 17, and um, he's playing a lot of baseball, and he's playing football, and he is looking at colleges uh, this year. And so we're going through that process. He's actually a junior right now. So we'll see what path he decides to take. But I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm doing the math on Brady's (laughs) age. I'm going to guess there's a lot of boys named Brady in his class. (laughs) There are. (laughs) And actually, I met his dad. um, We worked together at WEI. And uh, he was a big sports seller for WEI. And uh, there are a lot of Brady's uh, in New England. uh, (laughs) And we we miss Brady. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Again, to timestamp this October 10th, this might be the most we've missed Brady in quite some time. So, um, yes, Kelly Sutton, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast today for being a trailblazer in WJPZ's history and in your career as well. The amazing things you've accomplished uh, from Buffalo to Boston in terms of radio uh, and, of course, being willing to share your son's story and your personal story when it comes to mental health. I've been seeing the same therapist for several years myself here in Detroit. And I think it is so good that we are finally talking about that. Uh, And as you said, it's out in the open more. And I think as we get into millennial, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever you want to call it, I think that stigma is slowly starting to ebb. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So I'm glad you brought that up. And congratulations on all your success in Syracuse and since. And thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, You're amazing. And I'm so glad that we got to meet And I really appreciate you doing all this and being able to share all of these stories. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.